know, we had the goal of 2,996. You guys ready for the result of our service? So over the last seven weeks, as, as of 9 a.m. this morning, a couple of people came up and said they still need to log their hours. But we gave 3,775 and a half hours. And that was really in five weeks, because after the first two, we, were, we weren't cooking yet. Just so proud of the work you guys did. And I know that that's not going to stop. Like Christine said earlier, this is part of our lifestyle. This is who we are. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 4, please. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just look on with someone we love to share, or you can download one real quick if you can get service in here. But Luke chapter 4, I want to share a little bit about why we as followers of Jesus love to serve. The guy who wrote this book, the Gospel of Luke, he's a Greek doctor 2,000 years ago. And he becomes a follower of Jesus and uses his physician skills to both take care of Christians and also to write a meticulous history about the church. His Gospel is the longest of the Gospels and actually takes up 25% of the whole New Testament. And I don't know if he, like other doctors, wrote in chicken scratch, but somehow we got it and we're able to uh, read it today. He highlights Jesus meeting the needs of the poor and the sick and the marginalized more than he highlights anything else about his Christian history, about how Jesus took the extra time to engage with these men and women and children. We'll start in Luke chapter 4. In verse 40, and I just want to scroll through and turn through these pages of Scripture. Sometimes I'll just reference them quickly, but I want us to get a little taste of the day in the life of Jesus as he loved the poor and the needy and the sick. In Luke 4, verse 40, it says, At sunset the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying on his hands on each one he healed them. And I'm just going to, like I said, reference and talk about some of these snippets you can turn the page to Luke 5. But already, it's sunset. What do you do at sunset? You have dinner. It's time for a break after a long day. But what is Jesus doing? He's dealing with a long line and a line that's getting bigger of people that are in need, people that he engages, people that he loves and cares for. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. You know, leprosy was just as much a social disease back then as it was a physical one. They would be ostracized from society. You could not be included in the everyday life that everyone else was partaking in. You were ostracized into exile. You lived on your own in a leper colony and when you were with other people that weren't leprous you had to yell out. It was your social and lawful responsibility to yell leper to announce that you were coming in to a circle of where there are people without leprosy. It was so hard, let alone to deal with the physical, but to deal with the social. What does Jesus do? He doesn't just heal from afar. He doesn't hit his remote control because he has the power to do so. He touches the leper. 
Later on in the chapter, Luke chapter 5, verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, some of us know this story. It was crowded in the house. So what did they do? They lowered the guy down through a little hole in the roof that they made that dropped the equity of that first century home right there. But is Jesus annoyed? There he is in the middle of whatever he's doing with the crowd and all of a sudden pieces of thatch and and, and things are falling on him. Is he annoyed that he's interrupted in the middle of his message? Does he ignore it? Does he say, get to the back of the line? No, he deals with love. He rewards the man and his friends for their faith and heals them. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Again, Jesus doesn't ignore it. As some of us do as we walk by the needy in New York City. He doesn't make it awkward. He doesn't move on quickly. He stops. He talks about it. He engages. He loves. He heals. In Luke chapter 7, keep switching through with me, scrolling through. In Luke chapter 7, verse 2, I'm just going to reference these. It says that he heals the servant of a Roman soldier. You know, this is weird. Jesus is a Jew. The soldier's Roman. The Roman are oppressing the Jews. Let alone, would you deal with a Roman and try to help him? Or here is his servant. But Jesus crosses those social boundaries, heals the enemy and his servant. In chapter 7, the same chapter, verse 11, Jesus walks by a funeral procession. Does he keep walking? Does he ignore it? He stops. He sees a mom crying for her dead son. Jesus moved with compassion. You know what, before I understood what the Bible was really about, I could imagine Jesus as sort of this unfeeling, uh, automaton, robotic divinity character who went around just healing everybody and, and throwing magic on people and, and sort of everyone following him. And I, I had to rewind as I read the Bible and realize that Jesus is full of feeling and flesh and bone. He's divine, but he's also man. And here he feels, he empathizes, he engages, and he heals. Turn over to chapter 8 and verse 26. The list goes on. And Luke, the doctor, writes about him coming across a homeless, naked, madman screaming. Now, for most people reading this, they can't relate, but we live in New York City. <laughs> homeless, naked, madman screaming. Yeah, that was like a couple of nights ago, right? And what does Jesus do? Engage. Saves his life. Loves. Luke chapter 8, same chapter, verse 40, he helps two women. These are two women. One's a 12-year-old girl who's dying. Another is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And there's a few things that a Jewish rabbi does not get anywhere near. And here we have three women, the dead, and the bleeding. And he runs right in, as a first responder does. In Luke chapter 9, verse 37, a boy is convulsing and foaming from the mouth. He engages. In Luke 13, 11, he touches a woman with something like cerebral palsy for 18 years, engages and heals. Chapter 14, chapter 17, chapter 18, and in chapter 22, verse 50, his right-hand guy, Peter, who sometimes gets a little ahead of himself and emotional, sees that Jesus is about to get arrested. So he takes out a sword and chops off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. And you would think Jesus would do one of two things. Either, Peter, nice job, good aim. 
well done, you're defending me. Or, you know, move on, ignore it. Move, you know, we got to go, we got to do this thing. But he stops. He pauses, which is so hard to do when life is busy, let alone when you're about to be arrested for something that you're innocent of. And he stops and he goes to the Roman soldier and he heals the soldier. He does the unthinkable. This is Jesus, the ultimate first responder. He changed the way the whole world thought about the sick and the needy. And there's always been, in even primitive history, a a shaman or a witch doctor or a healer. But the invention of things like the hospital, a facility, a group of people, a caretakers for the sick happened because of Christianity. You know, Jesus started a revolution of respecting the broken and the marginalized, a group of people mostly discarded in all of the ages leading up to the first century. And his followers followers carried on that legacy of love. You know, we have history, and there are recorded plagues in the first and second centuries. Plagues where whole cities were either dying or evacuating if they could escape the contagion. And what did the Christians do? Did they flee to try to save themselves? No, most of them decided they were going to stay where the plague was in places like Carthage, and they were going to serve and take care of the people that were sick and dying. That is the first hospitals of the modern era. That's where it comes from. They sacrificed themselves, and many of them died with those who were dying to give honor and dignity to those who are in their last days. By the Council of Nicaea in 325, every place with a church also built a hospital. In 369, the Church of Caesarea built a 300-bed hospital, the first of its kind and magnitude, and a model for the future. As we close out, as we think about these things, let us meditate on what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 16. Do not forget to show hospitality. Is it easy to forget? We're busy. We got a lot going on. Is it easy to forget to show hospitality? And it says, do not forget to do good and to share with others. For such, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Sometimes we wonder, what is God pleased by? What can I do that will please God? Here you go. In boxcar letters, it's as clear as day. You want to please God? You go serve. You show hospitality. You love your neighbor. You love your enemy. You know, this word hospitality, that's where hospital comes from, from the Latin hospice. And again, this concept is revolutionized by what Jesus and the church did 2,000 years ago. And guys, I think we know this, but we know that hospitality isn't just serving. It's sacrificing with a smile. It's not begrudgingly showing up and doing our hours, our time, our good deed. It's loving the fact that we can pay forward Jesus' love. It's bringing dignity and delivering a meal. It's a handshake, a hug, a conversation, sometimes just listening, just listening to someone's life. And it's more than just for seven weeks. It's a lifetime of serving others. In 1 John 3.16, you know, a lot of us have memorized John 3.16. I got another one for you, and I'm not going to put it on the screen. 1 John 3.16. And I'll read it to you now. Go home and look at it. And if you don't have it memorized already, 
love this one. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. At this time, we're gonna pray for the communion. We're gonna take the emblems, the, the juice and the bread. And then after I pray, we're gonna take a minute and just spend some time in silence, in memoriam of the 2,996. And then after that, there's gonna be a performance piece specifically written for today's service. And we'll close out service together. Let us bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, we have mixed emotions when 9-11 rolls around. And yet, God, we know that if there's anyone that understands pain and loss, it's you. You've seen all of history. You felt it where we felt it. And mostly you sent your one and only son. And he loved and he cared and he engaged with those that no one else would engage with. And he touched those that no one else would touch. He did the unthinkable and he loved beyond all boundaries. And we serve today and we're inspired and we want to imitate what he did back then. God, thank you most of all that he did the ultimate sacrifice. He died for us spiritually so that we could be here so that we can know the truth about you, so we can come to you and have a knowledge of you and be able to share that love around the world. God, thank you for the almost 4,000 hours that were done in these last few weeks. And God, I pray you multiply that out into the tens of thousands, into the hundreds of thousands, until we can no longer keep track because it's a lifestyle and we can't help but serve and serve and serve like Jesus did. God, thank you for his example. And at this time, we pray in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.